Welcome to Toho Yaro, a Japanese movie club podcast. I'm Joey Weiser, and I'll, as always, I'm joined by my excellent co-hosts. Alex Kazanis is here. Hey, Alex. Hey, Joey. And Scott Dryman. Hey, Scott. Hey, Joey. Hey. This is our first podcast of the new year. Pretty exciting. Woo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we started mid-2016, and we've already covered some great movies, but... Uh, I'm really excited about the lineup for the first, for the next few months as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so we're starting off this year with a big movie for me, and to and even for the podcast to some extent. Uh, it's 1969's Torasan, Our Lovable Tramp, or Otoko Watsurayo, which means it's tough being a man. <laughs> いたんじゃお嫁にゃゆけぬわかっちゃいるんだ妹よいつかお前がよろこぶようなえらいあにきになりたくてふんとおとろくのかいもなくきょう Um, a small correction from last episode. <laughs> I said that the film came out in 1976 uh, in our outro. This was a result of having too many Wikipedia windows open <laughs> and not really thinking too hard about the words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Uh, this is a <laughs> pretty big difference. By 1976, there were already 16 Torasan films uh, released. <laughs> Man, well, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, as I said, uh, this is the uh, the first of a uh, film series that's dear to me. And uh, regarding the podcast, it's also where we get our theme song from. Yep. But we'll cover more in, on that later. Um, let's get into it. Uh, the movie is directed by Yoji Yamada, who's also the co-writer and co-creator of the series. Uh, he was born in 1931, and Yamada is still making films to this day, which is remarkable. Wow. Um, he has a ton of work uh, that we could discuss, but Torasan is undoubtedly what he will be uh, best known for in the history books. Uh, the Torasan films are a, a specific kind of movie, but outside of that series, he's done all sorts of different kinds of work. Uh, yeah. He's directed a samurai trilogy that I see mentioned from time to time as being well regarded. That's uh, the Twilight Samurai, Hidden Blade, and Love and Honor. Um, the only movie of his that I've per personally seen uh, besides the Torasan movies is a movie called The Yellow Handkerchief. And uh, that was a really great movie. It features a lot of the Torasan actors in different size roles, as well as the great Ken Takakura. Uh, this that that film really blew me away, and I'm looking forward to digging into more of his filmography uh, in the future if I can. Um, talking about the actors, uh, first up we have a kind of big set of main actors that you see throughout the series. Uh, there's of course Kiyoshi Atsumi who plays Torajira Kuruma. Uh, the titular Torasan and Chieko Baisho, Sakura, um, who plays Sakura, Tora's sister, and Shin Morikawa, who plays Tora's uncle Tatsuzo, 
He's the only character uh, who uh, of the core characters who's played by multiple people over the series. He's actually played by three, uh, all in all. Morikawa played the role for the first eight films until his death. Um, Chiko uh, Misaki plays Tora's aunt Tsune. Gin Maeda plays Hiroshi, the factory worker. Uh, Hisao Dazai plays the uh, factory manager, who's often just referred to by his nickname, Taco, or Octopus. Uh, Chisu Ryu is uh, the priest, uh, or sometimes just translated as Gozen-sama. Um, and Gajiro Sato plays Gen, who's that weird little guy who attends to the temple. <laughs> he's more prominent in later films, but he's definitely hanging around in this one. Um, and in this specific movie, there's a couple other actors who are notable. Fuyuko uh, is played by Sachiko Mitsumoto, and that she's uh, the priest's daughter uh, and the quote-unquote Madonna or love interest of the film. And of course, Takashi Shimura plays Hiroshi's father. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he's a Toho Yaro alum who I'm not going to go into much detail about since we discussed his credits uh, in depth uh, in both the Godzilla and Ikaru episodes. But to talk a little bit of detail about some of these actors, uh, I'd like to highlight, um, besides Shimura, the most well-known actor in the West is probably Chishu Ryu, uh, who plays the priest. Uh, Ryu has appeared in over 160 films and 70 <laughs> TV productions, which is one thing that I love about these old uh, Japanese movie actors because the way the studio system worked, they're just in a ton of stuff. <laughs> I love seeing credits like that. But uh, he's probably best known for his work uh, with director Yasujiro Ozu uh, in films like Tokyo Story and Late Spring. Um, and Chiko Baisho uh, is a very important element of the Torasan series, playing his sister Sakura. Um, she's a frequent collaborator with Yoji Yamada in films before, during, and after the Torasan series. Uh, her most well-known role in the West is the voice of Sophie in Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, but I don't think she has a lot of live-action credits that have been seen over here much. Uh, a fun fact about her uh, is that she's also a singer, uh, and her 1965 cha-cha-inspired pop hit, Sayonara wa Dance no Atoni, uh, was the basis for the melody of the 1992 song Moonlight Densetsu, or the theme to Sailor Moon. <laughs> Pick <Huh>. it up. <laughs> um, let's see. And so, and of course, <laughs> who else... Uh, should we highlight, but Kiyoshi Atsumi. Um, he plays Tora and is integral to both the the character and the film series uh, itself. Uh, Atsumi was relatively su a successful comedic actor before Tora-san, appearing in several movies uh, and TV, uh, also working previously with Yoji Yamada. However, once Tora-san became a hit and eventually an icon, um, Atsumi turned down other starring roles that he thought would hurt the people's perception of the character. He would even typically appear in public wearing the Torasan uniform, uh, the brown checkered suit and hat, the light button-up shirt with the charm around his neck, and the haramaki around his belly. Uh, and he he did take um, small parts uh, here and there, uh, cameoing in stuff like uh, Yoji Yamada's other films, but... Uh, throughout the run of Torasan, he mostly just stuck to that as far as starring roles. So you'd say that he that... Uh, he was reverse typecast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a pretty remarkable commitment, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, some uh, two other noticeable staff that I wanted to highlight uh, are Tetsuo Takaba, who's the cinematographer. Uh, he worked with Yamada for the majority of his career, and Yamada has said that he relied heavily uh, on him for the scenic look of his films. I'd say that Torasan is part comedy, part drama, but also part travel film. <laughs> and uh, so I think his contribution is very important uh, to get those uh, scenic looks. Um, and then lastly, the music is by Naozumi Yamamoto. And uh, the music Torasan is, is definitely an essential component. Uh, we can discuss the music more in later uh, in detail, but I just wanted to relay one quick anecdote about him from my friend Holly. Uh, she saw an NH NHK program uh, with him where uh, he discussed his favorite restaurants. And his favorite restaurant for lunch was a katsu fried rice place called Restaurant Mikasa. And he was a regular there, and they knew who he was, and even would let him borrow their piano upstairs whenever he was struck with inspiration over lunch. Wow. Neat. Yeah. Do you suppose that he uh, composed uh, Torresan music there? I think so. I, I would guess so. I think that that was kind of the gist of the idea of that, that program was kind of like, here's this iconic person, and this is where he wrote some of his music. Um, I think that's pretty cool. So let's get into the movie synopsis itself. Uh, so the movie opens with a narration by Torah explaining his backstory. Uh, he had a fight with his dad when he was young and left home. Uh, while he was away, his parents and older brother died, leaving his sister Sakura to be taken care of by their aunt and uncle. Uh, it's explained later that Sakura and Tora are only half-siblings, and Tora was conceived with a geisha while his father was drunk. And uh, that's <laughs> sort of a semi-explanation for why he's, you know, maybe doesn't quite fit in or something like that. Uh, as as the Torasan theme plays, there's kind of further introduction introduction to his character uh, and we see a scene of him wa uh, wandering back to his hometown of Shibamata walking through a golf course and disrupting the game. <laughs> this is the first of many jokes about how Tora is a an old-fashioned guy who doesn't understand or typically care for modern or western influence. Um, Tora arrives during the festival and barges into the festivities taking part in them by force uh, he marches right into the temple uh, and encounters the priest, who eventually recognizes him, followed by his aunt. Uh, Tora's aunt takes him back to the sweet shop uh, that they run, and Tora introduces himself to his uncle and the other as the other members of the town look on. I thought that was a kind of funny addition that people are just like, "Ooh, who's this guy?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tora attempts to use polite Japanese in this scene, but uh, keeps kind of stumbling back into Yakuza speak and kind of giving us and them the first hint that like something is a little off here. Uh, and he, at this point, presents them with gifts from his suitcase, but instead of the typical uh, gifts that folks exchange after trips in Japan, uh, he has all this <laughs> shoddy junk that he starts slipping full-fledged into this peddler sales pitch. And uh, then Sakura arrives, and uh, at first she's scared by the mysterious, rough-seeming uh, man in her house, uh, but eventually they're introduced and we get a tearful reunion. The emotion of the scene is is, is strong, but <laughs> I'd say somewhat undercut by Tora immediately going outside to relieve himself on the tree and loudly singing. <laughs> yeah, I definitely made note of that. And I feel like the, the this opening does a pretty good job of kind of setting the tone for the whole thing where Tora feels 
comes off as thinking he's this really slick guy, like when he picks up the golf ball on the golf course and tosses it back at the dude. Mm-hmm. He seem, he, his expression is that he's like the coolest dude for doing this, and <laughs> the actual golfer is just super pissed off. Yeah, he's very like childlike, but has a sort of like a very strong sense of self importance or something. It's it's pretty funny. It's a good uh, good kind of contradiction. So the next day, uh, Sakura is supposed to meet uh, a potential fiance at an omiai. Um, these are this is a arranged marriage custom that's pretty common at the time. Uh, I think it still exists a little bit to this day, but it's it was more common in the '60s and beforehand. Um, but so she was supposed to go with her uncle, <laughs> but he has a horrible hangover. So they wonder if Tora can come instead. He kind of reluctantly agrees in this way where he's in a similar way to what Scott was talking about. It was kind of like, yo, I've got a lot going on, but I guess I could go. <laughs> but um, so at the Omii, uh, Tora's disreputable character kind of comes into light. Uh, he's obviously uncomfortable in the big Western hotel and with this sort of like uh, fancy Western uh, meal. He slurps his food and has trouble with a knife and fork. And as he continues to get more and more drunk, he starts telling dirty jokes and being uh, extremely embarrassing. <laughs> this is a kind of tough, uh, awkward scene to watch for sure. If you could yeah. call them dirty jokes, it's very, <laughs> it's like super bathroom humor. Just, yeah. just like uh, probably something might have been lost in translation in the version that I saw. But uh, it, a lot of it just seems nonsensical and just about, oh, poop, pee, fart. Like yeah, well that yeah that's for sure. Yeah, but like at a at a high class dining affair, you're not going to say like, oh, did you know that your kanji of your name can eventually be traced down to the word for fart? Oh yeah, that was super good. <laughs> yeah, oh. the uh, the scene I, I have a difficult time being embarrassed by proxy and stuff, and the scene was so bad that I had to like take a break from the movie and like, go to the <laughs> store. Oh wow, I was so uncomfortable. It, <laughs> this is something I wanted to talk about later, but I might as well bring it up now. I feel like this movie, like Torosan, has a reputation for being a sort of like sweet movie series, but it also doesn't pull any punches in this regard. No. Uh, yeah, it's the one of the American translations of the title is like the the level tramp, and mm-hmm. the beginning of this movie, I was just kind of shocked at what a villain Tora is for the first mm-hmm. half of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he's. <laughs> He's the antagonist. Like, <laughs> it's and not because not not like completely his fault, but at one point he becomes like a huge raging asshole. Yeah, for sure. We haven't gotten sure. to that part yet, but that's that was a uh, that was a little off putting for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Sakura after this, Sakura and Tora return home, and Sakura is totally mortified. And Tora is totally wasted. <laughs> uh, he's and he's already at this point starting to sort of pick fights with the manager at the printing press next door. Um, so we get this scene transition at this point where Tora is introducing himself yakuza style to the locals. It's kind of a little unclear to me if this is supposed to be the local yakuza chapter or I uh, or like just sort of the local people and he's doing it as a yakuza, but like. Uh, this is sort of a an, an early the, another clue that like he has these sort of like unseemly ties, you know. While he was away from Shibamata, he was hanging with the wrong crowd or whatever. Uh, so Sakura meets with the matchmaker, and obviously that family declined the engagement. Very sad. Um, 
And at this point, Tora runs across another street peddler uh, named Noboru, and he is, <laughs> frankly, doing a lousy job of selling stuff on the street. And Tora takes over at this point, and we get a chance to see him at work. And this is definitely like that other scene, like, involves a lot of wordplay that's untranslatable, I think. But I think even to foreigners, it's it's clear that this is him in his element and that he's very skilled at street selling. Right. Yeah, I something definitely seemed seemed uh seemed off here in terms of just like what is he saying? Uh <laughs> I I I assumed it was it was a bunch of fast talking, you know, auctioneer type wordplay stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you can see it's a like kind of like this is a different Torah than we had seen at to this point. Oh, yeah. He's very extremely energetic. He's very forceful and 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 a crowd kind of gathers at this point uh, i i really like in that scene like the moment of transformation from his normal goofy self to when he like is like all right we're gonna do this is when he kind of shrugs his his coat off his shoulders <laughs> yeah yeah that's great uh so after that uh tora and noboru come home celebrating a su- successful day at work uh but his family is furious because of the news that tora botched the omii uh, there's a big fight that follows this, which ends up turning physical. They spill out into the backyard. Even the factory workers at this point are like getting involved. While one of the workers, Hiroshi, holds Tora back, uh, Tora's uncle punches him in the head and delivers this emotionally charged speech about how this is actually Tora's departed father's fist punching him. Uh, it's a pretty, yeah, pretty intense <laughs> scene. Uh, and But the scene closes with a little comedic bit of Tora wiping his face with a dirty washcloth smearing uh, ink all over his face, uh, and Sakura can't help but laugh. Uh, the next morning, Sakura finds a note, which I think uh, perfectly exemplifies the, these characters uh, of Tora's, where it's written in this very poor childlike handwriting, but what it's saying is is super dramatically put, you know, and he's... He's leaving, ashamed of the trouble that he caused for her. Uh, she and Noboru race after him, but he is already crossing the river in this old-fashioned ferry that, at this point, is actually just for tourists, but he's actually using it as a uh, <laughs> means of transportation. <laughs> and uh, Tora really plays up the drama in this scene, kind of looking over his shoulder and, and, and walking off dramatically um, as they call out to him across the, the river. And so... At this point, we skip ahead a month later, and Noboru is working at the sweet shop now, and they receive a letter from Fuyuko, the the temple priest's daughter. Uh, Noboru reads it aloud, and we get this flashback. Fuyuko has uh, been living in Nara to recover from a health scare, and the priest came to retrieve her, and they ran into Tora. Uh, he's guiding some Western tourists, uh, which squeezes in one of my favorite things, which is goofy white people in Japanese movies. <laughs> yeah, not just that, but the ADR of that scene, you can totally tell uh-huh. it's not an, a native English speaker saying those things. <laughs> You're like, oh, Tora, hello. Tora-san, Tora-san, oh, yeah. <laughs> look at that mountain. It's beautiful, beautiful, very beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've definitely heard stories of like, them just like employing white people around the office to to act in movies and stuff and so like the acting skills aren't necessarily uh Im- as important <laughs> when they're speaking another language yeah but uh so it takes a second for tora to recognize fuyuko but after speaking to each other briefly he obviously falls for her and he ditches the tourists 
and uh, accompanies them instead. Uh, this includes a scene that I love that establishes a running gag where the priest yells butter instead of cheese <laughs> when having his photo taken. Butter! <laughs> yeah, and I love how even after being corrected, he's kind of like mutters under his breath like butter. But um, the face he makes when he does that is so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love, yeah, I love these sort of like uh, big prestigious actors getting to ham it up a little bit in, in, in movies like this. Uh, so some time passes and we're back at the sweet shop the uncle and aunt uh, realize that Sakura and Hiroshi seem to have crushes on one another, and they're happy to see this possible romance. Um, and just then, uh, Fuyuko shows up, and who does she have with her? It's Tora, of course. And Tora plays <laughs> it off like him returning is no big deal and maintains this cheery attitude. Uh, he goes out back to see Sakura playing guitar and singing with the factory workers and then immediately goes into overprotective brother mode and uh, chasing them off and exclaiming that she's too good for all of them. She should marry a college graduate salary man. And so this uh, totally pisses off the factory workers, of course. <laughs> and they hang up these signs saying, like, you know, down with Tora uh, and, and challenge him to a fight. Uh, he and Hiroshi meet on a boat uh, and Noboru fends off uh, the rest of the workers with a staff, which I think is a pretty comical, like... Uh, I don't know, a scene of him sort of spinning around with the staff and trying to look tough. Mm -hmm. um, on the boat, uh, Hiroshi and Tora argue about what Tora said, uh, and it becomes clear that Hiroshi is in love with Sakura and parallels to the uneducated Tora's romance with the high-class Fuyuko become clear, and they begin to get along. So at this point, Tora suddenly switches to being the expert on all things love, and all of a sudden... And they continue their conversation in a bar in a scene that I totally love <laughs> where he's instructing Hiroshi on how to say, I love you with just your eyes. Uh, and this transitions to Tora taking a rowboat with Fuyuko and trying his skills <laughs> out on her, blinking his eyes a lot and looking at her at weird angles. And she's just like, do you have something in your eye? That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. And he, yeah, so, so great. Uh, he laughs it off and... He doesn't notice that he's already docked, but keeps uh, rowing and nervously laughing. And then what follows this is a very frustrating scene. Tora had agreed with Hiroshi to talk with Sakura uh, about uh, their relationship, and he visits her uh, at her workplace. And all he does is like vaguely bring out, up Hiroshi and not really say anything concrete, and she's just confused uh, about what he's even talking about. And he quickly exits uh, and goes to the print shop to talk to Hiroshi and says that he's discussed matters with Sakura and she is not interested. And this uh, breaks Hiroshi's heart and he is compelled to run next door and confront Sakura with uh, the rest of the family as witnesses. And at this scene, uh, Hiroshi gives a heartfelt speech, although one that I think could be construed as a little creepy. <laughs> about how his apartment window is across from hers and from for the past years of him working at the factory seeing her there was all that he looked forward to uh, he runs out and the manager rushes in soon after exclaiming that hiroshi has quit the factory uh, sakura scolds tora uh, for his thoughtlessness and runs after hiroshi following this we get a very touching scene at a train station 
Uh, Sakura catches up with Hiroshi as he's about to board the train, and with little time to talk, they they each get on the train. And Baisho's acting, I think, in this scene is particularly excellent. Um, sh- uh, just seeing the different facial movements uh, uh, that she makes uh, conveys a lot of what she's feeling without words. It uh, gets me every time. Even when I was watching it with commentary, I got a little choked up <laughs> watching that part. Um, so back at the house, Tora and his family are, of course, arguing about uh, uh, about what happened, and Sakura returns to tell the news. Uh, she and Hiroshi are getting married. Hooray! <laughs> so a quick turnaround on that. Um, so we skip ahead uh, to Sakura and Hiroshi's wedding. Everyone is stumbling around and uh, trying to get everything in order, and there's just general chaos <laughs> when an unexpected guest is revealed. It's Hiroshi's father, a professor who has cut ties with his son after an argument long ago. And the wedding goes uh, through the usual festivities. There's, like, speeches, etc. There's this funny scene uh, where they're getting a family portrait taken, and Tora uh, calls back the the priest by saying butter instead of cheese. (laughs) And uh, kind of a cool thing about the scene is that after he does that, uh, several of the actors, including Sakura, crack up and laugh. Uh, They weren't (laughs) supposed to do that. Oh, really? yeah, and in, in fact, they after several takes where uh, the crew uh, and makeup were uh, scolding Sakura for laughing because it was messing up her makeup, uh, Yoji Yamada actually decided to just keep the scene as it was. And I think it's great because I think it shows some closeness uh, uh, amongst the family, kind of being amused by Tora's dumbness as well as <laughs> having yeah. to deal with it, you know. Um. So anyway, uh, through all this, uh, Hiroshi's father and mother are totally silent. Uh, the general perception, I, I think, is that they are above the sort of low-class ca- uh, gathering, and, and everyone else is just kind of perplexed by why they would even come to the wedding to begin with. And so after some speeches and songs, Tora meets with the reception MC. Uh, I just want to quickly mention this guy, the actor. Uh, he's one of Atsumi's partners from when he had a three-man comedy team and was one of his best friends. Uh, he makes several cameos in the Toristan series, eventually uh, solidifying as like a, an actual character, another peddler who often sets up next to Tora. Um, but anyway, uh, he wants to give Hiroshi's father a piece of his mind, uh, <laughs> but the MC urges him uh, to just at least wait until after the father has given his speech, and then Tora can like give a speech where he calls him out. And uh, so at this point, Hiroshi's father is brought up, uh, at, and after a long pause, uh, Takashi Shimura does what he does best. <laughs> he uh, gives a very sorrowful monologue about how he and his wife are ashamed to be amongst such fine folks, and here we see that they have not been silently looking down on Hiroshi and his new family, but feeling the shame uh, of their failings as parents. And then, he uh, compares... what? Oh, go ahead. Gonna... And then he goes outside and just sits on an empty swing for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and slowly dies. Um, yeah, he he compares the eight years that he and Hiroshi have been apart as a long, long winter, and now thanks to Torasan's family, uh, he is welcoming a spring. It's a very emotional moment, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Shimura totally, like, knocks it out of the park, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Uh, at this point, Hiroshi and the others are quietly crying. And uh, even and then Tora jumps up to welcome the two parents, <laughs> ripping his sleeve, and, and, and um, runs up to Hiroshi and Sakura's table, uh, wiping 
his tears on their tablecloth. <laughs> Again, kind of like uh, embodying this childlike quality uh, for sure. I feel like this scene does does a much better job of having him like sympathetic in the way he undercuts the emotion because it, he does this like goofy thing, but it's in a very well-meaning like compassionate way as opposed to just being like this like boorish buffoon he's he's sympathetic and there's real emotion coming from him now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so um so we skip ahead of time at this point and sakura has moved out uh and tora is staying with his aunt and uncle uh, he tries to play it cool, but what he's actually doing uh, most of the time is just spending his time with Fuyuko. He's still totally love-struck. Uh, he takes her out uh, to a f- few things, but including a bar, this little bar where they have a great time. And after that night out, they return uh, home, and she is super drunk, uh, singing loudly in the streets. Um, even Tora is trying to hush her <laughs> in a <surprising laughs> twist. <laughs> um but so, however, after a flirty goodbye, Tora too ends up singing loudly in the street on his way home. And so things are looking up for Tora, but on another day when he and she are supposed to have plans to go fishing, Tora has even got uh, matching straw hats for them <laughs> and everything. Uh, his date is canceled as she's spending time with a mysterious handsome man. The priest informs Tora that this is her fiancé. Ah, very sad. Tora returns to the sweet shop to drain his sorrows in liquor, uh, but the rest of the family doesn't even realize he's there, uh, and they are playfully making fun of him, (laughs) Uh, which is something that, you know, might have sort of aggravated him uh, at one point, but here it really stings. uh, And Tora's uncle returns and tells the rest of them about Fuyuko's fiancé, and who is not only a college-educated edu- man, uh, sticking with the theme of the <laughs> the movie, but a college professor. Uh, they talk about how crushed Tora will be when he learns about this engagement as they back uh, they they head back into the house. Um, and Tora, at this point, hides inside the bedding closet and overhears them as they continue to talk about him. And Sakura goes to the closet uh, to bring her uncle a pillow and discovers Tora there. So Tora is caught, but so are they, in a very awkward moment. And uh, he's he looks pretty pathetic there with his like sun hat on and his like whiskey or whatever, not not looking so good. Um, so but at this point, Tora puts on a happy face uh, and goes upstairs to gather his things and uh, to leave town. Sakura runs after him to try to talk him into staying which is a scene that we will become very familiar with after 48 films, believe me. <laughs> but he <laughs> shrugs her off, and uh, Noboru joins Tora uh, on his trip, uh, but at the train station restaurant, Tora brings him a ticket back to his own hometown. Tora tries to get Noboru out of this racket while he's still young. They argue, and this results in Tora actually giving Noboru a smack on the face, forcing him away. Uh, now Tora is truly alone, crying into his bowl of ramen. And at this point in the movie, there's like three minutes left. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, things are looking pretty dire. But we skip ahead uh, one year later, and Sakura is visiting the priest uh, with her newborn son. The priest remarks that he doesn't quite look like her. He doesn't quite look like Hiroshi. He actually looks like Tora. <laughs> and uh, 
the temple attendant Gen uh, brings the a brings them a postcard that Fuyuko, who has said, uh, or, or for Fuyuko, that um, who they mention is doing well. Um, Sakura's son, whose name is Mitsuo, uh, starts to cry, and the priest tries to uh, calm him down. Now, just straight up referring to him as Tora. <laughs> and uh, as the scene plays out, we get a voiceover from Tora reading the postcard that he had sent. Tora remarks that he has heard of his nephew's birth and yet uh, is still away from home, reflecting on his actions over the past year. Uh, this transitions to Tora on a faraway locale, selling his wares with Noboru. Hooray! They they did not split after all, or they, they got back together or something. Uh, his, his spirits seem high, and the f- festival setting with the Torasan theme swelling is very heartwarming uh tobor uh tora <laughs> toboru yeah their their shipping name uh <laughs> tora and noboru wander on goofing around and enjoying life the end dun, dun, dun. and that's the end of the first of 48 films uh <laughs> torasan uh is a guinness uh world record holder uh for the longest running movie series starring a single actor I believe it, it had previously just been the longest running film series, but there I think there's a Chinese film series that has uh, usurped it, but uh, this still is the only one that uh, stars uh, uh, one man throughout the whole thing. Uh, so that's 48 films in all, as I said, uh, running from 1969 to 1995. Uh, every single one of them is uh, written by Yoji Yamada, or co-written by him at least, and and. Uh, they are all directed by him, except for films three and four. Uh, Torasan was originally a TV series. Um, it was originally titled uh, Guke Kenmai, which means goofy brother and wise sister, <laughs> and ran from 1968 to 69. I think just like 26 episodes or something like that. It wasn't super long. Um, at the end of the series, Tora uh, actually dies of a snake bite, and the audience was so upset by this ending that uh, their outcry pushed uh, Shoshiku, the, the film studio, to agree to release a film with the same characters. Um, the film, uh, while having the same characters, are mostly have new actors, except for Kiyoshi Yatsumi, uh, who plays Tora, Shin Morikawa as his uncle, and Sato Gajiro, who plays Gen, uh, is also in it, but he's kind of more of a um, Noboru role. He's kind of like a little uh, bro character. Um, and the first and last episodes of the series used to be on YouTube, uh, and I watched them. Uh, they're, they're black and white, uh, but they've since been taken down. Uh, from what I remember, the first episode is very similar to the movie, basically exactly the same. Uh, but the last episode is obviously different, uh, with Tora going to the sort of like jungles of southern, the sort of southernmost point of Japan, I think, and, and getting bit by a snake and dying. Uh, it was pretty weird to see Gen, who's kind of like, he's a pretty weird dude, uh, but <laughs> playing just like a regular guy <laughs> in this with, with speaking roles and everything. Um, and so after a 30-year franchise, Torasan obviously had a huge impact on Japanese pop culture. Uh, for most of its run, there were two films a year, uh, with one in the summer over Obon and uh, one in the winter over New Year's. Um, except for the last six, which were released once a year in December. So it was always a New Year's event, which is part of the reason why I wanted to do uh, this episode uh, for January. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. So as Tora is a traveler, uh, the scenery around Japan that he visits is an important element to the films, 
and uh, in many of them you can feel the season that they were filmed in as well. Uh, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> speaking of filming and release dates, I did a little detective work a while back uh, about uh, a, a later movie and found evidence that the movies were filmed like very close to release. In Taurus on My Uncle, which is the 42nd film, I spotted a familiar cover to Weekly Shonen Jump in Mitsuo's room. Uh, this is uh, this might sound familiar to some people. It's Goku in an orange astronaut outfit with some of the other characters in the background. Uh, but uh, so this place, the earliest that that scene could have been filmed uh, in, in uh, November of 1989, and the film was released at the end of December in that same year. Wow. So that's a pretty fast turnaround. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe this scene was shot like at the very end of filming or something like that. But um on the topic of Shonen Jump, I wanted to mention something, uh, kind of other little fun fact nugget, uh, that uh, Kiyoshi Atsumi, and specifically Torasan, is the model for a character Chaton in the uh, series One Piece by Eichiro Oda. Uh, Oda has this fun quirk of basing characters on real people, and specifically the marine admirals uh, and some vice admirals are based on classic Japanese actors, which is always fun for me. Uh, and Chaton originally appeared as a sketch in a kind of bonus page in one of the collected volumes, uh, but now appears in animated form in uh, the most recent movie, One Piece Film Gold, which uh, at least Alex and I are going to be seeing in January. Yep. Pretty excited about that. <laughs> which I think will mark the first time that Torasan in any sort of capacity has graced American theaters. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, there were, yeah, besides, um, like... Um, Japanese there's there were like Japanese theaters in like international theaters in America that would play uh the Torsan movies which I believe is where uh the subtitles that appear in the Japanese blu-ray set um the English subtitles come from or from those international releases so um so I do occasionally see people say like back in the old days you had to find a specialty theater to see these in America but um yeah, so, uh, but yeah, that's true. And I don't know. And me personally, I kind of hope f- f- to eventually get like a cool, like One Piece style figure of Taurus on looking tough and badass <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, back to the film itself. Uh, it's true that the series follows a strong formula. Uh, this is something that's pointed out a lot in criticism. Uh, but I'd say that it's how Yamada works within that formula that makes them all interesting to watch. Uh, many of the films open with a dream sequence, which is not included in this one, uh, where Tora and his family fill the roles of characters in genre spoofs. Uh, and that those range from like historical dramas to kaiju movies, uh, all sorts of weird, crazy stuff. Um, I think uh, one of the ones that I've seen has a Lady Snowblood intro. Oh, cool. It's very similar yeah. to the, uh, the intro of Lady Snowblood. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times they are based on specific stories and, and movies and stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, so this that that aspect of the movies hadn't been introduced yet at this point. But many of the scenes that we did watch uh, in this movie do get uh, carried through uh, throughout the whole series. Uh, Tora is always in and out of uh, his hometown, Shibamata, and it all kind of centers around that sweet shop. Um he, when he arrives, he's always met with a mixture of happiness and embarrassment from his family who love him but are often stuck cleaning up after the chaos that he brings with him. And uh, <laughs> he always gets in a fight with the manager at the print shop next door. 
and he always falls in love and by the end of the film ends up losing the girl for a, ver a variety of reasons. Uh, and then he sets off again, leaving his sister Sakura and their family to worry about him as he travels the country selling his wares. Uh, we're usually treated with a sort of short epilogue uh, of Tora generally enjoying himself on the road. And so while we have this feeling of pain of his love lost, we also have this uh, feeling of affection for him and, and, and the joy that he continues to have in his adventures. Um, Tora is a tekiya, uh, which is a kind of yakuza. Um, yakuza traditionally come in two types, uh, bakuto, which are gamblers, or tekiya, who are sellers of stolen or shoddy merchandise. Uh, the, the, this film is actually one of the few that really, I think, kind of like lays into the Yakuza stuff a little harder than a lot of the other ones where it gets softened up a lot. But in some of the later films, they kind of surprise you and there will be one where suddenly kind of the, a theme of the movie is that somebody wants to follow him, but he doesn't want them to get mixed up in his sort of like tough life and stuff like that. And, um, I, I like that. That's again, talking about the variety within the formula that, that I like a lot. Um, Torsan was actually inspired by Kiyoshi Yatsumi's own stories of Tekia that he knew. Um, while he never fully joined a Yakuza gang, uh, thankfully, he worked with Tekia as a young man, and um, in telling Yoji Yamada and some crew members of, uh, other, of another movie uh, of these stories about these men that he knew, it inspired Yamada to create this role for him, or with him, actually, because uh, I think Atsumi in telling him this, those stories was like, we should make a movie out of this. Um, it's really in, wanna, uh, interesting during the, I, di I didn't pick up specifically on the like Yakuza connections, but in the scene where he takes over for the sales stuff, one of the things he's talking about is how they're so che The books are so cheap because the, the shop couldn't pay tax on them, mm -hmm. which sounds an awful lot like they fell off the back of the truck mm -hmm. kind of excuse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I like, and I like that. Uh, another aspect of that is in in the fan, in the at the omii when they're asking him like, "What what do you do for a living?" and he's like, "Oh, I'm in sales," and they're like, "Oh, what kind of things do you sell?" and he starts listing off the books, and at first they sound like, "Oh, educational books," but then it starts turning into sort of like mysticism and fortune telling and things that are a little <laughs> more like, uh, "Okay," <laughs> like a con artist. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and. At later movies, I think it's it's a lot more uh, kind of like focused on the fact that he sets up at like carnivals and stuff. So he has a lot of like cheap toys and things that, like you know, kind of junk that falls apart. But uh, yeah, in this one, it's definitely like con art stuff. Like that's what he tries to give his aunt is a like one of those brass bracelets that's supposed to like improve your health for some reason and things like that. Um, I love that. I saw that and I was like, hey, we still have those today. <laughs> yeah, we do. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so the I wanted to mention Shibamata, the the town, uh, Tora's hometown. Um, it's a small place, but its temple is a destination for tourists, which is a uh, the reason why a small market catering to that has kind of popped up around it, including Tora's uh, family sweet shop, which specializes in dango. Uh, Shibamata is a real place uh, within the Katsushika ward of Tokyo. And uh, now uh, there is a Torasan museum there, which includes a completely preserved sweet shop and house uh, of Torres family that you can go in and walk around, uh, which I think sounds incredible. <laughs> sounds super nice. I'd love to visit there sometimes. Yeah, 
you or I would love to visit there sometime. Um, you become very acquainted uh, with the Shivamata landmarks over the course of the series, the temple, the street, uh, where the sweet shop is, and, and that grassy hill at the beginning uh, where by the river. Uh, that That's where a lot of scenes take place as well. Uh, they become almost as recognizable as Tora himself. Um, now let's talk about the music a little bit. Um, at this point, I could just say, take it away, Alex, because <laughs> I bet you have some feelings on, on the music. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, there are a couple principal themes in this, uh, in this movie that are recurring. Uh, the first, uh, obviously, is, uh, is Torah's theme. It's the, the opening theme of the movie, but uh, there's a whole mess of instrumentals uh, of it throughout the throughout mm-hmm. the movie, which uh, which lends a lot of gravitas to the scene uh, that it's featured in. talk about the 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 version with lyrics for a second like i think one of the things that's great about it is that it really gives you everything you know need to know for the basic setup and and even the basic film uh, like feel of the film like because the lyrics themselves are very sad they're about torah's inability to find love and how he's troubles his beloved sister but the melody itself is very warm and the way he sings it is actually kind of like cheerful in a way and very heartfelt yeah. Um, regarding the uh, the one with lyrics, the um, this particular one, I think the uh, the subsequent movies that follow this one have a slightly different second second verse. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, instead of the lyric um, "You're my sister and you can't get married because of me," mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's something akin to like "Sorry that I'm a troublesome yakuza" or something like that. That makes sense because after that point she's married and that's not a uh, <laughs> a problem anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the melody 
Yeah, is like just yeah, is so strong that in those instrumental versions, uh, it does give you that same impact uh, that the the one with lyrics gives you. Um, I'm I'm always especially looking forward to it at the end, as weird as it sounds, uh, because like even though it signifies the end of the film, it always gives me the sort of last punch of emotion, uh, that sort of mixture of joy and sorrow that that I like uh, so much about these movies. Yeah. Yeah, the music, uh, the music definitely helps and and gives the movie a bittersweet quality to it. Mm-hmm. Something that struck me is how often uh, Torah is actually singing and mm-hmm. how much that kind of humanizes his character to me and and ma- makes me see him as like uh, the the beginning of the movie. I I spent a lot of time disliking him as a character, but like every time <laughs> he sings, it's just really charming. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important, uh, for sure. Um, so let's talk about our histories with this movie. Oh, uh, uh, actually, there's another theme I wanted oh, to talk about. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Which Go is Sakura's it. theme. She has her own theme song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's sort of a sweet melancholy, uh, melancholy tune that well it shows up um a few times in the movie, but most notably when she's around. It sort of evokes that, like, you know, my brother who I haven't seen in 20 years uh, sort of feeling to it. Yeah. But those are the those are the yeah. two principal themes that kind of recur throughout the movie that I've noticed. Yeah, and I think throughout the series that the composer kind of continues to build on those as well as bringing in uh, their kind of, like, classical standards, I guess I would say, uh, that he kind of uh, plays around with a little bit as well. Um, so yeah, I, I love the music in these movies and they, that definitely, uh, uh, contribute to the whole package of why, why I think they're great. <laughs> uh, any, any other notes on the music? Um, that's it for now. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, all right, no problem. Um, so Scott, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time you saw it, right? Correct. Uh, I hadn't seen it before. I knew it a bit by reputation from just hearing you and other people talk about it. But uh, it, I didn't realize, like I said, I, I spent a lot of the beginning of the movie disliking the character when I expected mm-hmm. him to be a lot more lovable at the beginning. But I think by the end of the movie, uh, I, my attitude towards him had softened a lot. And the idea of settling into kind of a groove with the, uh, with the subsequent movies makes me uh, interested in seeing those and, and feeling more sympathy towards him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how about you, Alex? as your history with the movie goes. Yeah, so I didn't know who Torah-san was until you came on the One Piece podcast. And um, and I think we talked about it a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I had no idea who, who Kiyoshi Atsumi was. Um, yeah, honestly, Joe, you're the one to blame for this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. Um, you're welcome, and I'm sorry, and thank you. Yeah, uh, and, uh, you know, since then, I've seen a couple Torasan movies. Uh, this is my second go around with this one, and it was really great rewatching it, honestly, because um, I didn't really pay attention to any of the other actors, which is why it was a huge shock to me that Takashi Shimura was in it. Uh, I was like, oh, is that? No. He's, he's too old. Oh, my God, it's Takashi Shimura. And I made, like, a huge a huge note in my notebook, like, and I underlined it, and I go, yes, 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 that's definitely him. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it... 
I got to thank you too because um, I honestly didn't uh, expect to enjoy this movie as much as I did and the series. Mm-hmm. It's so endearing. Um, yeah. And uh, I could see how the fact that it's you know it follows a formula could be a detriment to it. But honestly, it's like watching a television show with really long episodes. It's episodic, and mm-hmm. and I think it's a testament. Uh, to how uh, how interesting each each movie is, uh, and also I mean like it, it doesn't help. I mean it doesn't you know it doesn't hurt that uh, they go to a different uh, prefecture in every episode. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and from here on out, I mean it's slightly similar to Fuyuko, who's who he meets far away and then she comes back, but it's a little different because she's actually from Shibamata, but like. Typically, he meets his love interest out selling uh, in random parts of Japan, and then through whatever circumstances, she will end up uh, back at his hometown, and kind of shenanigans ensue. <laughs> now, now, Jay, let me ask you a question. Uh, hmm. So there's 48 movies. Does that mean that uh, so he successfully visits all 48 prefectures? I believe so, Yeah. Wow. Uh, I think some even multiple times because, it, you know, as the sort of like um, uh, format continues, they continue to play within that formula, they do switch things up. And so sometimes the pacing is a little different. And there is a there's a movie where he is falls in love and uh, is shot down like in the opening moments of the movie. And then we follow him as he. <laughs> happens to fall in love again and like <laughs> uh you know and so th- sometimes you'll see him traveling to one area and then the story will take him to another uh later so um i think i believe that he does uh end up uh reaching all the prefectures but uh, i don't think it's necessarily one for one interesting now i did some i did some looking look, looking up uh and there's an anime that I don't know about. I there's nothing. I I haven't been able to dig up any sort of information on it other than there was an anime. Uh, um, no clips I, or anything else. Yeah, I can tell you that there's a manga. Um, and it's a nine volume series by Kenichiro Takai, who actually passed away this year. Um, who's famous for doing Salary Man comics. Um, and um now are these some... are these comics for salary men or <laughs> or are they depict uh, salary you know <laughs> for and starring <laughs> salary men yeah um and they're cute little like comedy uh gag comics they're not like um like a four coma kind of thing yeah well yeah uh, yeah yeah um coma, I it's guess. not like i've also seen salary man comics where it's like what will he do when his branch is taken over or something like that you know but like uh, this is more just kind of light, and the each volume of the manga recaps a single movie, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, they're really great. Uh, they're very cute. Um, uh, if I can remember, I'll try to retweet some on the Toho Yaro account because I've definitely tweeted some images from that before. Oh, neat. Um, yeah, my uh, personal experience with this movie, I first heard about it through Mark Schilling's Encyclopedia of Japanese Pop Culture, which is a book I mentioned previously on the Sonatine episode. Um, I read that about it over a decade ago, so I don't remember exactly what my thoughts were, but upon rereading that article uh, earlier this week, I... I, th- I believe what I kind of latched onto is the idea that within that article, it, it gives you the idea that if you've seen one, you've kind of seen them all. 
and it pretty explicitly says that Western audiences don't seem to get the appeal of Torasan. Uh, so I think that uh, that you know that makes it sound pretty negative. It's actually a pretty sweet article, but it, it does talk about like why it hasn't ever made it over here, and those are two things against it. And I think that I just kind of took to that and was like, okay, well, that's a piece of Japanese culture that is interesting, but it didn't really stick with me. Uh, and then years later, when I was using the Netflix DVD plan to rent some classic Japanese movie series like Godzilla and Battles Without Honor and Humanity, it actually recommended to me the Torasan set. Uh, there's a four movie set for the, of the first four movies from Animego. Um, and uh, it, that caught my interest because it was something I'd never heard of before, I thought. <laughs> and maybe I think maybe something in the back of my mind was like, hey, you read about this before. But so I Googled it and found the subtitled trailer on YouTube, which is still up. Uh, we recently you tweeted it and I uh, retweeted it on the Toho Yaro account. Um, and I think uh, I, you know, that that's what pushed it over the edge. I was like, this looks really fun and this looks kind of like to my aesthetic. <laughs> And so I rented it and totally fell in love. I was instantly drawn to the feeling of the first movie and and, and uh, sought out the rest. It took me a couple of years, but I eventually watched them all. Um, and as I continued to watch them, uh, my bonds to the characters just grew stronger and stronger. And I feel very sentimental about it now. Um, and I'm just now starting to go back and rewatch some. Uh, speaking of that manga series, what I'm... Uh, instead of I just, uh, it's kind of a daunting task to be like okay I watched them all should I just watch them all again but like <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm going through and watching the ones that had been adapted into the manga volumes so I'll watch a movie and then I'll read uh, to the best of my ability uh, through the the manga volume and um, yeah it's been pretty fun we'll we'll see where I go from there um, to, uh, uh, let's talk about what we feel about the movie kind of in general um I'd say with uh, something I read about uh, with Tora and Sakura being half-siblings uh, and Sakura raised by their aunt and uncle and Tora growing up on his own, uh, Yoji Yamada had said that the original concept for the series was that it was about how blood relation doesn't necessarily make a family. Uh, and on the flip side of that, I've also heard the opposite perspective uh, of someone saying that Sakura and Tora's blood relation is what actually makes them closer than anyone else in the films. I think this is really interesting. I think this kind of complex and um, contradictory aspect of the of the themes is something that I think speaks to the richness of these films. Uh, you know, they're not just a comedy. They're not just a drama. They have a they have a lot going on. Um, and either way, uh, family is obviously super important. Um, supposedly, Yamada and Atsumi both had rough family lives growing up. Uh, he also was disowned by his father at a young age, uh, Atsumi was. Um, so I think they put a lot into these films. I, I might even guess that uh, over time it became kind of a surrogate family for them. Um, and I, you know, I feel that closeness is, is, is reflected even in the first, in the first movie. Um, and, uh, but taking a look at this film on its own uh, without the the whole series um, I think that it speaks a lot to Japanese life and family especially at the time that it was filmed uh, but there are also a lot of universal ideas about family acceptance and love um, that I think that I think go against that idea that Western audiences wouldn't get them uh, there's a lot of cultural barriers for sure with like wordplay and stuff like that but uh, I think the overall themes can be felt by 
by anyone. Um, the movie's very sweet, but as I mentioned, it's and we talked about it, it's it's, it's also very harsh <laughs> and doesn't uh, shy away from depicting Torah being terrible in some places and sad as well. Um, and I've known some people who can't even make it through a whole Torah on film because the uh, discomfort was just too much <laughs> for them. Uh, but I think that if you do make it all the way through, uh, it's ultimately heartwarming. Kind of as Scott said, like if you if you stick through it, you you feel very uh, heartened to them. And and I think these these extreme lows that Torah brings uh, make the highs feel even more positive. You know, um, what uh, what did you think in general, Alex? Yeah, uh, I largely agree. Actually, um, it's kind of funny that like the way I thought about this movie before I saw it was a, um, I, I think it's because, you know, one of the titles is called Our Lovable Tramp, but I kept thinking to myself, oh, like a Charlie Chaplin type character who is sort of like a lovable loser kind of uh-huh. kind of situation, which is sort of true, but there's a little more to it than that. There are a lot more layers, and uh, you do get a sense of closeness from Sakura and, and Torasan, but not just between the two of them, but also you see the closeness between him and his aunt and his uncle as well. There's a, there's a little bit of a, you know, there is, there are his parental figures, um, and they sort of, they do come across as that. Um, I think the character of, uh, Noburu is quite interesting too, um, seeing as he calls Torasan uh, Aniki, uh, sort of like a, like, you know, um, you know, like a like they're both yakuza like brethren. An underling. Yeah, or an underling. Yeah. yeah. Does he show up in the other ones? He does. Not in all of them. He just kind of does from time to time. I, I think he's kind of in, uh, in the first few, and then um, as time goes on, you get to kind of check in with him right. and uh, see how his life develops. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this movie's got you know goofy bits and really tender moments. And really, it's got something. I think it has something for everyone. Really, uh, the goofy bits are really goofy. Like they're really like the bathroom humor is <laughs> is <laughs> is is sort of out there. Like pull, not pulling punches. That is an apt way of describing it. Um, but you know, it. Uh, like I think we mentioned the train scene being a very tender moment, and the, uh-huh. I thought that one of the most tender moments was when he uh, blew his nose on the tablecloth during the wedding. Uh-huh. Like that was a very nice moment, and um, it it goes. To, it's really interesting to see how like how much of a. I'm not going to call it an emotional roller coaster, because it's not like you know that jarring. Yeah. But there's a there's a sense of uh, you know a sense of warmth to the movie, uh, mm-hmm. and and I think that that speaks volumes for it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. How about you, Scott? Uh, I enjoyed it a lot once I got past the first hurdle of that of that meeting scene that he just absolutely wrecks. But uh, I, th- I and I think part of the reason I had a tough time in the beginning of the movie was going in with the kind of wrong impression of the type of character he would be. But once I got further in, I got a lot of compassion for the rest of the cast, and I really like the all the other characters and that they have their own stuff going on. And uh, I, I like the idea of them having their own, like, very uh, kind of impactful stories while orbiting around uh, Torres, this kind of uh, central figure in 
occasional disaster maker. Um, what's interesting to me is, like I said, I had the, a wrong impression of the kind of character he was, but uh, having seen it now, I feel like a more apt Western description, or, or I've seen him likened both to Charlie Chaplin or Jerry Lewis. But to me, the, the closest Western analog is Homer Simpson, and I mean that in, in the best way, in that yeah. he's, he's both just this kind of buffoon that ruins things for everyone around him, but he does have genuine moments of, of compassion and sympathy where, where we feel for him, and he's trying to make good in, in the ways that he is capable. I like that comparison a lot. Yeah, me too. That's really good. Um, but yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought a lot of the smaller bit characters were really entertaining. Uh, does Gen show up in the other movies as well? Gen, the 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 temple attendant or groundskeeper, the temple attendant. Yeah, and he kind of like he kind of waffles between like this movie where he's just kind of in the background a lot to actually being kind of a little like sidekick for Tora to in his sort of like misadventures. Uh, he kind of reminded me of 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 uh, what seems to me a very British archetype of the like snarky gardener, butler, or whatever. <laughs> Especially yeah. after uh, Taurus sees uh, Fioko's uh, uh, fiance, and he's walking out, and then again starts singing the the song that Tora was singing after their night mm-hmm. out, as just yeah. to kind of like kick in the pants on his way out. <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, I'm um, uh, definitely interested in seeing the other movies and seeing what they do with the formula. Cool. Do you have a particular favorite scene or aspect of the movie you wanted to talk about, Scott? Uh, I my favorite scene was Shimura's, but I figured that if you, one of you guys wants to talk about that, I'll let you and and highlight something else I liked a lot, which is at the near the very end when the priest is holding the baby. Uh, just that whole scene and and them kind of uh, endearing like he looks like Tora and then uh, Sakura going oh no <laughs> playfully and uh, Chishiryu is such a a great actor with a lot of range similar to Shimura that it's fun seeing him ham it up a little and just being going from this kind of dour serious guy to actually having fun and being like smiling and being cheerful with this little baby yeah it's totally. very endearing yeah did you, did you want to talk about Shimura's scene at all, Alex, in particular? Um, other than, like, he not knocked out of the park, honestly. Like, um, it wasn't my favorite scene because there's mm-hmm. there's so much to like about this movie. So, Scott, if you want to, you know, go to town on Yeah, that, so. I wasn't going to highlight that right. particular, but I think we should talk about it. Yeah, no stuff. Uh, just to talk about that scene for, for a minute, it's so brief. It's, like, a little over two minutes long, I think where he just goes from kind of standing there looking sad to this, like, heart-wrenching monologue just out of nowhere for a character that, like, we care about but is kind of a a minor thing of his background. And then I feel like Shimura could have delivered that just in a complete vacuum and still would have made me cry (laughs) the level of emotion and, and import that he puts into what he says. Yeah, totally. I think, I think, uh, his, you know, speaking to Alex's surprise that he was in the movie, uh, his um, inclusion in the movie is something that I feel a lot of times kind of like keeping a secret because, like, it's not only a reveal that uh, Hiroshi's father is there, which is a surprise, uh, but it's also 
that it's being played by this actor who we all know has such gravitas and stuff that I feel like gives it a lot of big impact because they don't really pay they don't really talk at all about how Hiroshi's like the situation with Hiroshi's dad until he shows up so it's not like we're all going to be like oh my gosh I didn't think Hiroshi's dad would be here you know it it, we have to be given that information but the fact that it that we are then given the information and that Shimura is there uh portraying the character I think is a good like punch to be like this is important <laughs> also as a quick aside it, I, I like the running gag that nobody knows how to read his name oh yeah 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 it's good uh makes him seem especially of another world yeah um yeah, did you have a favorite scene or something that you wanted to highlight, Alex? Uh, yeah, I loved um, well, I loved the butter scene, bata. Like I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was super funny, uh, just because you got to see uh, a priest just be really, really goofy. Um, yeah. But in particular, I really liked the uh, the sequence or the several set of sequences where where Tora is trying to talk with his eyes. Uh, yes. There's so much fun in his facial expressions, uh, both at the bar. I think at the bar, like, really made me laugh because you see, <laughs> because of the nuanced uh, characters in the background who are noticing him do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other <laughs> patrons just sitting there giggling along. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, I think the thing I like the most about about Tora is that uh, he acts really goofy, and the extras, like everybody in the background, also notices that. Um, mm-hmm. His personality is so is so out there. I, like I love when he when he first comes to uh, to the sweet shop and he's sitting down for dinner for the first time with his aunt and uncle, and uh, the townsfolk are just sitting out there. And uh, God, what does he say? Um, he says, uh, <laughs> "I wrote it down." Uh, <laughs> He says, uh, "Remember me and be good to me." Like, like, <laughs> like, like he's. It's it's almost like he's uh, he's telling them something that that his aunt and uncle should be telling them, uh, so he's he's doing it for them. I, I yeah. <laughs> very yeah, yeah the opposite of cordial. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, uh, the scene of him giving the "I love you" advice is what I wanted to talk about as well. Actually, <laughs> um, it makes me laugh super hard every time. Um, this is. Uh, it kind of leads into another repeating aspect of the film that gets more and more increased, which is uh, Kiyoshi Yatsumi uh, was a big admirer of Rakugo, which is a traditional Japanese uh, comic storytelling. And um, this scene kind of just just barely uh, embodies that. Uh, Rakugo is where there's a single storyteller, and he embodies, like, several characters uh, even supplying sound effects with his his mouth and limited body movements to portray their tales and in this bar scene like Atsumi is just yeah just barely uh going into this territory describing in detail accompanied by <laughs> humorous sound effects and body movements that uh the different ways to look at women and how they will perceive the looks uh, but this in later films this this trope uh transforms to like Tora uh sitting at the head of the dinner table uh usually and holding court over his family uh mm-hmm. and and giving a rakugo style performance where they literally are the audience and uh he's usually telling story of his travels and the people he meets and usually 
goes into hypothetical situations that are blown completely out of proportion by his imagination. So this is a thing that I think gets stronger and stronger throughout it, but the scene in particular I love, and then immediately cut to that transition of him <laughs> trying out his moves on Fuyuko and, and failing miserably, I think is, is hilarious. Which I, I also really love the uh, just the visual gag of the cut back to see him rowing against the the barrier going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and Gen is in that scene hiding behind a tree and being like, "Yeah, look at this guy." <laughs> uh, yeah, so also sort of cheating, uh, but a, an aspect of this that I I love, kind of my favorite thing about this movie as being the first movie is that for me personally, having watched the actors and characters grow old and and evolve somewhat over the series, uh, I think uh, I love watching this first one and seeing them all young and cute. <laughs> uh, I love seeing uh, Sakura and Hiroshi's marriage and Mitsuo being born. He later becomes uh, an actual character, you know, not just a baby. He ends up being an adult who has his own issues with love and stuff like that. And... Um, it's uh, very sentimental to me, as I mentioned earlier. It's it's kind of like looking through an old photo album. Uh, and Kiyoshi Atsumi is especially vibrant in this first film. Um, he it, it later becomes kind of part of the joke slash tragedy of the series that he has fallen in love so many times uh, and lost lost that love. But at this point, he's he's fresh. <laughs> he's he's just beginning uh, these these trials. Uh, did you guys have any other points that you'd like to bring up before we close close out? Uh, it's something that I wanted to mention. I noticed a little bit the uh, the kind of like uh, westernization themes, where mm-hmm. like the uh, I, it, it was interesting to me that this movie was nineteen sixty nine and uh, Sakura was a key puncher for a computer system, mm-hmm. which was really interesting. And the hotel and like him slurping, kind of calling back to our, to us watching uh, uh, Tampopo. But uh, I, di- I didn't really pick up on how deep the like uh, idea that Torsan's kind of this man that's not quite up with the times or up yeah. with like westernization of Japan. But that, mm-hmm. that's something that as I watch more movies, I'll keep an eye out for. Yeah, and I think that that's something that I see a lot in criticism uh, of it is people bringing up the fact that he's kind of like uh, an embodiment of a more innocent time of Japan for people to kind of be nostalgic for. Um, But I also see it as a sort of tragic aspect of his character that uh, he's out of time and he's he's not, not only unfamiliar, but also kind of unwilling to uh, go into the modern world and become... Uh, a you know contributing member of society or whatever you know <laughs> how about you alex any final thoughts as well yeah one thing i wanted to bring up actually was um subtitles uh there's a in, there's a thing in particular that torasan says i think twice in the movie uh that is translated differently um between the the uh the anime go release and the version that i watched um mm-hmm. i think it was the no thanks for spanks uh the cat's got shit on its ass or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think you tweeted something about it, too. But I wanted I to bring that up. Uh, um, what the deal with that Yeah, was. that is actually a thing that he said. It's kind of a Taurus on catchphrase. And it's um, compared to Cockney rhyming slang, where 
he's just kind of uh, going off on this this way to say no thanks or I'm good basically kiko kiko um, and that is in a good example of why a nice western release like anime goes can like go the extra yard to like explain it to you because uh, those those um, the subtitles that uh, some people might see are the ones that I mentioned earlier that are on the Japanese release and those Japanese release ones uh, are just kind of bare bones and don't go out of their way to explain jokes and stuff like that. So, yeah, what do they say? They say they just say, like, um, I'm as fine as a cat with catnip or something like that. Yeah. And then everyone else acts horrified, and you're like, why are they upset by that? But uh, once you realize that it's he's actually making a dirty joke about a cat with shit around its ass, you know, like, then, then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not a very nice thing to say in, in a company like this. Um. All right, so like I said, uh, I'm just starting to rewatch these and uh, jumping around a little bit throughout the series, not necessarily going in chronological order. Uh, so it's going to be tough to decide which one we cover next, but I'm definitely looking forward to covering uh, more of these with you guys in the future. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, how about let's talk about what we're doing next month, Scott? All right, uh, so... This month was kicking off uh, a super long-running beloved series, and next month is going to be a departure from one of Japan's other longest-running film series. Uh, we'll be doing the 2003 uh, Takeshi Kitano-directed Satoichi film, which is a uh, period samurai film where Kitano stars as the titular Satoichi, who is a blind swordsman. And uh, it's a very interesting film. It's not much. It's got some significant departures from being a standard samurai film. I also believe it's the most uh, contemporary film that we'll be we'll have done for the podcast so far. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to. It. I've seen this a long time ago, but uh, I had, last time I saw it, I'm pretty sure I had not seen a single other Zatoichi movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing this again. Uh, being both more familiar with Zatoichi and a little bit more familiar with uh, Kitano's work as well. Yeah, I definitely like to watch some of the other, uh, the older Zatoichi series in the lead up just to kind of compare and contrast some. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Scott, where can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me at uh, Vriska Chat on Twitter. Uh, Watching Rogue One has gotten me into a Donnie Yen kick, so I might be tweeting nice. a lot about Chinese film in the near future, mostly kung fu stuff. Cool, yeah. I've uh, I've seen like one or two of the Ip Man movies, but I definitely watching Rogue One made me want to go back and rewatch and watch more of his stuff because he's excellent. Uh, how about you, Alex? Where can people follow you? Oh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram on Dude Exclamation, uh, all one word. Uh, my PSN I, my PSN name is Kazanas, K-A-Z-A-N-A-S, in case you wanted to play me in Overwatch or something like that at some point. <laughs> um, and uh, speaking of Star Wars, uh, the other one of the other podcasts that I do with um, our friend Steve, uh, 20 Minutes of BS, uh, our new episode is on Rogue One, and we discuss our thoughts and uh, 
and check that out if if you're into Star Wars, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just listened to it. It was kind of weirding me out because it was like a bizarro version of our podcast where <laughs> Steve is the co-host and we talk about Star Wars instead. Yeah, and this is the first time on our on that podcast that we recorded the way that we record, so we both sound mm. extra good. Yeah, it sounded great. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, people can follow me uh, at Joey Weiser on Twitter or joeyweiser.tumblr.com for news about what I'm doing with comics and stuff. Uh, my graphic novel series, Merman, uh, is available. Books one through four are available in hardcover and digital, and volumes one and two are available in softcover now. Uh, there's more softcovers on the way, and the final Merman volume is coming out in hardcover this spring. Very exciting. Uh, my next book was also recently announced uh, in Publishers Weekly, which is pretty exciting. Ghost Hog, so look for that in the <laughs> distant future. Um, and please follow t- at Toho Yaro on Twitter or email tohoyaro at gmail.com to let us know what you think of the show, suggestions for movies to cover, and questions you'd like uh, answered on future episodes. See you next month for 2003's Zato Ichi. <laughs>